0: guys, and welcome back to What Happened in Between. Today we are going to be talking about the true story that may have inspired the Pied Piper, which is a haunting tall tale that has been told to children, particularly in Europe, for hundreds of years. But did you know that this story is thought to be inspired by the children's crusade of 1212? So let's start with a review of the tale of the Pied Piper. This tale has survived for a very long time. It originated as medieval folklore. This story then inspired a poem, a Grimm Brothers legend, and then eventually one of Robert Browning's best known poems, The Pied Piper of Hamelin. And although each writer tinkered with the story, the basics remained the same. The piper was hired by the town of Hamelin to rid it of its plague of rats. Trailing after the hypnotic notes of the rat catcher's magical flute, the rodents politely filed through the city gates to their presumed doom. They weren't the only ones lured by his music, though. When the town refused to pay the piper for his service, the savior tur- turned into a more satanic seducer and came for Hamblin's children. Entranced by the notes of his flute, th- the transfixed boys and girls followed the piper out of the town and simply vanished. It's a pretty chilling story, and the worst part of it is, is that it's likely inspired by a real-life event. Now, there are a few different theories about what inspired this story. There's one where it's about the youth leaving the town because of an economic depression. There's one about the Black Plague, or one of the leading theories is because of the Children's Crusade. So today we're going to be talking about this last theory of the Children's Crusade. So let's get into a review of just the Crusades in general. So all the Crusades stand as one of the key historical milestones of the Middle Ages. They were backed by the Catholic Church, and European Christians launched eight separate missions to take the Holy Land from Muslim control between 1096 and 1291. Led by Europe's elite, the Crusades were documented in great detail by the leaders of the Church as well as the people who fought them. Their leaders, their movements, and their outcomes are well known to history. The story of the Children's Crusade of 1212 brings to mind powerful images of throngs of medieval European children gathering together in faith to wrest Jerusalem from the Muslims. Something interesting about this crusade is that it sprung up around the same time in both Germany and France through two different boys. Historians aren't sure if one inspired the other or if they just came to be simultaneously, but we'll talk about that a little more later. Regardless, the events of the two expeditions fascinated 13th century audiences and chroniclers, and these are, we're going to be talking about them a lot this episode, they're basically historians of the Middle Ages. I mean, they're not as reliable as real historians today, but they would basically just um, document all the events that were happening at the time. So these chroniclers wrote different accounts decades after the Children's Crusade ended. Modern-day historians, however, are hampered by a lack of detailed primary sources about these popular movements of the early 13th century. Most consider that the events recorded by later chroniclers may be legendary or exaggerated. So first off, the Children's Crusade was not an official crusade. That had to be sanctioned by the Pope, and this was not. Nor does there exist solid evidence that it was supported predominantly by young children, Nevertheless, it was a mass movement inspired by the desire to defend and spread Christianity in the early 1200s. So what led up to this crusade? So official Papal Crusades began in the 11th century. Islam had spread far and wide to formerly Christian lands in the Near East and North Africa in the 7th century and to the Iberian Peninsula in the 8th. By the late 11th century, Europe was enjoying a period of economic strength and the Church had exerted its power following a series of important reforms. Buoyed by the resurgence in pilgrimage across Europe, the Catholic Church wanted to expand. The blessing of Pope Urban II in 1095 launched the First Crusade, a bid to retake the Holy Land the following summer. This is where the Knights Templar got their start, and lots of money during the Crusades. The Christian Alliance took Jerusalem from the Muslims in 1099 and established the Kingdom of Jerusalem. Over the next two centuries, seven crusades followed in an attempt to retain control in the Holy Land. Muslim retaliation would prove too strong, however, and the last European crusader stronghold would fall to the Mamluks in 1291. The most well-known crusades were these large expeditions to the Holy Land, but there were other military missions in Europe that roused the faithful. In the early 1200s, Pope Innocent III proclaimed two local European crusades. One was the struggle between Almohad Muslim rulers in Spain. The other was the campaign to destroy Catharism, a Christian heresy popular in southern France. Both these local and distant holy wars stirred up religious fervor among commoners in Europe, in turn sparking a series of popular crusades, one of these being the Children's Crusade. The Children's Crusade began in spring of 1212 as the church sought recruits to fight in those two um, local crusades that we just talked about. But a new group of people willing to fight for God started to emerge, volunteers who were neither mercenaries or warriors. 13th century chroniclers called them Puri. Puri is a Latin word that can mean children generally or boys specifically. The appearance of this word in the sources led to the popular name of the Children's Crusade but historians are unsure that all the participants were literal children. Existing sources have scant details, so it is not possible to establish the exact ages of all the Puri. While the youthfulness of many of those who took part was noted by chroniclers, some historians have recently suggested that Puri could have been a social designation for poor landless peasants, and that their movement may have been notable for the large number of poor peasant youths. The Children's Crusade had two principal leaders, Stephen from Cloyes, which is a hamlet on the Loire River in central France, and Nicholas of Cologne in Germany. A shepherd, Stephen was perhaps as young as 12 in 1212 when he rose to lead a popular religious movement. And just an interesting fact is that this was um, two centuries later, Joan of Arc would also guide France as a teenager. One chronicle written by an unnamed monk from northern France describes Stephen this way. In the month of June of 1212, a certain purer named Stephen, a shepherd by profession from a village called Cloyes, used to claim that the Lord appeared to him in the guise of a poor pilgrim and accepted bread from him and entrusted to him letters to be carried to the king of the Franks. A little side note, Stephen may have been to that cathedral city where Pope Innocent III visited, to build support for those two um, local crusades, so that's probably what inspired him to start his own crusade. Stephen began attracting followers to his self-proclaimed crusade. The Chronicle recounts that Stephen and a large band of Piri set out for Paris to seek an audience with the French sovereign, Philip II, to deliver the holy letters. So the king lived in an abbey of Saint-Denis just to the north of the city. The arrival of the shepherd boy and his followers in Paris coincided with the annual Lendent Fair attended by merchants from all over Europe. At this time of year Paris saw a great influx of pilgrims to the Abbey of St. Denis. Among them was Stephen. Together with shepherds of a similar age, nearly 30,000 people flocked to him from various parts of France. The chronicler noted that the holy boy Stephen appeared as their master and leader. According to another source written in England, the children had their sights set higher than Holy War with Muslim Spain or the Carthers. They said they needed to go to the Holy Land and recover the true cross. And at the time, um, just a little side note, the true cross was thought to be the actual relic of the cross that Jesus died on. So a lot of people really wanted to recover it from the Holy Land. This desire was prompted by a traumatic event that had taken place two decades previously, in 1187, when the Crusaders lost the relic of the true cross at the Battle of Haddon. And later that year, Jerusalem was actually taken. Philip II, however, did not lend his support to Stephen or his followers. It is not clear from the sources whether he read the mysterious letters Stephen received or actually what the letter said at all. However, the king took the movement seriously enough to consult a learned group of churchmen known as the Paris Masters. His actions suggest that he was fearful of the likelihood that the presence of large numbers of poor young people might lead to some civil unrest. Um, And the Paris Masters gave him the advice to command Stephen's followers to return to their homes, so that's exactly what he did. Stephen's crusade ended as quickly as it began. So um, there's this chronicle called the Loun Chronicle. It was written very soon after the events were accounted. So many historians regard it as credible. Um, And in this chronicle, it's claimed that following the royal order, Stephen's authority completely crumbled. However, there was some interest in Stephen and his followers later. And this brought forth some more speculative accounts. So, I mean, we kind of trust them a little bit, but you got to take it with a grain of salt. And this included an author, um, Matthew Paris. He was an English monk, and he was writing more than 20 years after the event. And he attributes Stephen's uh, charisma to a dangerous satanic magic. Another chronicler, uh, a monk, Alberic de Trois-Fontans, extends Stephen's stories to a tragic end, in which Stephen leads his followers to the Mediterranean point of Marseille. There, they were tricked by two merchants, who gave them free passage aboard their seven ships. Two of these ships sank, and the five remaining took the children to Begea in Alexandria, Egypt. The merchants then sold the children to Muslim slavers, who then tried to force them to renounce their Christianity. They remained faithful, however, and 18 of them were tortured to death. One of the Puri who escaped and returned to Europe gave this testimony. Most historians consider these writings questionable, however. Alberic includes many of the same details as the Laune Chronicle, but the events in Marseille in North Africa are not supported by any other sources of the era, placing his account in more of the realm of hearsay. So now let's talk about what happened in Germany. So in parallel with Stephen's doomed crusade, another venture was taking shape in Germany under the leadership of another charismatic youth, Nicholas of Cologne. There is some confusion in the sources as to whether Stephen's crusade influenced Nicholas's or if both events arose spontaneously. It is clear, however, that Nicholas, like Stephen, believed he had received received orders from God to travel to Jerusalem to recover the Holy Land. His followers reportedly numbered in the thousands and included men, women, as well as the youth. They gathered in Cologne between Easter and Pentecost in 1212. Sources recorded that Nicholas and his followers carried T-shaped tau crosses, later associated with the Franciscan monastic order, associated with poverty and humility. The tau emblem would also become associated with Nicholas. The remoteness of Jerusalem did not deter Nicholas. He claimed that upon reaching the shore, the sea would part for him as it had for Moses when he led the Hebrews out of Egypt. Contemporary written sources track the progress of Nicholas's Puri as they moved toward the Mediterranean. On July 25, 1212, their presence was registered in the city of Speyer in southwestern Germany. From Speyer, the Puri marched south and crossed the Alps, an unimaginably difficult and dangerous route. Weakened by hunger, exposure, and fatigue, those who did not choose to return home or who did not die along the way arrived at Piacenza in northern Italy on August 20 of 1212. They had traveled over 400 miles in a month. From Piacenza, several thousand traveled almost 100 miles more to the port city of Genoa in Italy. Despite their prayers, the sea did not part, and the multitude disbanded. Nicholas's leadership seems to have ended, and his ultimate fate remains completely undetermined. Tales abound that some puri went by ship to Marseilles, while others ended up in Rome. The ones who stayed in Genoa probably found work as a source of cheap labor. Only lasting a few short months, Nicholas's crusade was recorded as a failure, begun with earnest passion and faith, and ending with exhaustion and disappointment. Despite not reaching the Holy Land, these two expeditions that began began to be called the Children's Crusade made a huge mark on 13th century culture. More than 50 chroniclers recorded it. Some penned just a few lines, while others devoted entire pages to it. Because the crusade was not sanctioned by the Pope, it is remarkable that both Stephen's and Nicholas's movements attracted so much attention that lasted for decades. One account from a monastery in Alsace, written in 1230, describes Nicholas's 1212 venture as a certain vain expedition, which came to pass when puri and foolish persons snatched up the sign of the cross without any discernment, motivated more by curiosity than concern for their salvation. Pretty harsh. Whether the puri were children or peasants or a mixture of the two, the hostility of some chronicles toward them reflects the fear that piety, which is just the religious fervor, carried too far by the young and the poor would lead to a breakdown in authority. Such fears later came to pass in the form of the Shepherds' Crusade of 1251. It was led by an elderly Hungarian, and it was linked at the time to the Children's Crusade, when the chronicler Matthew Paris claimed the leader was the now-grizzled Stephen of 1212, which is probably not true. Later, later chronicles also exalt the Children's Crusade. The tale that many had been shipwrecked on San Pietro Island near Sardinia later prompted Pope Gregory to sponsor a church there, For all the troublesome nature of the children's crusade as it unfolded, the church soon held up the fervor of the Puri as an example to emulate. As recruitment began in 1213 for a new crusade, which was the fifth, which eventually set out for the Holy Land in 1217, people were urged to follow the example of the children the year before and offer their lives for Christ. Historians may never be fully able to separate truth from rumor and fact from fiction, But the Children's Crusade provides valuable insight into the relationship between popular movements and the church. And this almost fantastical seeming crusade also has another side to it. These children never returned home to their families after embarking on this crusade, leading to the theory that this is the origin of the haunting story of the Pied Piper. Some historians believe that children from Hamelin, Germany, left the town during the crusade with the Puri, and that's how the story came to be. Anyways, thanks for tuning in this week. I hope you learned something new and interesting. This has been What Happened In Between.